This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. All right, welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you on, uh, as we're in mid-December, we got a bowl game to talk about, we got their early signing day to talk about, we got as Mackenzie Milton's transfer to Florida State to talk about, there's, there's a ton to talk about without a lot of games. <laughs> the only game, really, that we had this week to talk about was women's basketball against Tulane. Uh, I was there, Eric, you were watching, that was a good basketball game, so we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, we'll talk about men's basketball as they get ready for uh, Florida State. Of course, that Houston game got scotched, but um, but uh, let's let's dive right on in with uh, uh, with football. And uh, well, the, obviously we had signing day earlier today, which we'll get to in a second. But um, really, the big news from the week I thought was uh, we finally have an opponent for the Boca Raton Bowl on uh, September or December twenty second, and it is the BYU. Cougars, UCF and BYU have played each other twice before, most recently in uh, 2014 when UCF beat the Cougars in uh, overtime at then Bright House Network Stadium, of course, now the Bounce House. Um, a game that we were both at, right, Eric? That is uh, correct, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's good memory. So I remember I was on the sideline for the overtime and um, really intense game. Is it, uh, okay, so a little, a little uh, connect the dots here for you. Taysom Hill, you remember, was on BYU but did not play in that. Got was hurt prior was to hurt. that game. That's yeah. right. So UCF beat, I guess you could say, a uh, crippled BYU team with the last guy who was a really uh, significant quarterback for them. But uh, uh, you know now UCF and BYU are getting ready to go here in well less than a week, and um, it, it, we'll have a little bit more preview stuff. I want to do. By the way, I'm breaking this news to you guys as I'm saying. I want to do a quick little preview of the BYU match up a little bit uh a little bit later on before the game but in the meantime what was the reaction um Murph I'll start with you what was the reaction for BYU uh getting the invite to the Boca Raton Bowl because you know looking at this matchup this to me might be the best matchup of all the non-playoff games that we have right yeah well well I don't know well okay no, no, so I thought you were going to ask a different question. So oh. I took the gun on my answer. Okay, go ahead and answer the question you want to answer then and be a politician about it. Because <laughs> I, 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 I knew where you were going to go, and then you said, of all the non-playoff, non-power, like... Uh, the non-playoff non, uh, games, yeah. Yeah, non-playoff. I'm like, well, I don't know about that. That's a little that's a little harsh. But I, it's certainly the best matchup, and this is what I thought you were going to ask, the best matchup of uh, among the teams we thought were in the running to face UCF, and really BYU, you know, early on obviously wasn't in the running because we were all expecting it to be an ACC opponent, as had been told to us by you know bull you know bull officials and UCF even. So, mm-hmm. but then obviously there's been uh, a lot of ACC teams saying that you know look we're done. Uh, this season's been tough. Our kids are tired. We're not playing in a bowl game. So any chances that UCF had of facing uh, Virginia or Pittsburgh, uh, those are gone. Boston College is, is gone. Virginia Tech uh, has uh, declared tonight that they will not play in a bowl game either. I know Virginia Tech was was in the running for this game as well. And But really, it leaves UCF with a more attractive opponent because, and let's be fair, most people like offense, and this game should have lots of it with uh, two dynamic – incredible quarterbacks 
um, you know, a, a, a first round, um, you know, a first round uh, uh, product or first round possible draft pick in Zach Wilson for BYU and, and then Dylan Gabriel on the other side. It's a very attractive, sexy, glitzy kind of match, more so than you would ever get from anything like, you know, ooh, uh, Virginia Tech or Virginia or Indiana or anything like that. Uh, Zach Wilson, the quarterback for BYU, had his name pop up at some Heisman uh, talk before BYU lost to Coastal Carolina, which is their only loss on the season. They're 10-1. and one. He's uh, 73% uh, passing on the year. 30 touchdowns, three interceptions. Um, he's been ruthlessly efficient. And on top of that, he's also been a very good runner. He's run for 242 yards. Um, they have uh, their best uh, rusher is a Tyler Allgaier, who's uh, just shy of 1,000 yards. He's at 957 and 12 touchdowns. Um, this is a strong BYU team coming into this coming into the season. I think a lot of people expected them to be good, and they, and they certainly fulfilled that. Um, and, uh, you know, even though they've, they've done it for the most part with their offense and they do have an explosive offense, it's not quite as explosive as UCF has been, but this year they're averaging 43 points a game, uh, over 320, uh, 20 passing yards a game and nearly 200 rushing yards. Um, even though they're only doing it on 65 plays a game where UCF is averaging, I think uh, almost 600 yards a game on 85 plays a game. Eric, when you saw this matchup come down, I know that you must've been pretty excited about it. I actually was. I um, I got to apologize to the Boca Bowl and the TV people. I mean, this is creative. If we get more of this in bowl games, then I might start liking more bowl games again. Um, because <laughs> yeah, fat chance of that, knowing you. Anyway. No, I mean, I do think this is a the best case scenario from the standpoint of an attractiveness. Like this is better than any of the bottom ACC garbage that was going to be brought here or Liberty. I don't really care for Liberty. It's an intriguing matchup. I actually think it could be a top five bowl matchup, potentially. I mean, obviously, we'll have a better feel once everything's official on Sunday. But mm. you can, it certainly will be in the argument for the top five bowl game, maybe the best bowl game in the state of Florida when it's all said and done, if it lives up to the hype. And that's, you know, the quarterback matchup, Zach Wilson versus Dylan Gabriel. The storyline with Dylan Gabriel, which his dad was a starting quarterback at Hawaii, used to play against BYU. It was a big rivalry. Beat him so twice. Of, right, including 30 years ago when Ty Detmer was the Heisman Trophy winner. They crushed him 59-28. Uh, there's a lot of appealing uh, storylines to this. Uh, it's a tra- It looks good on paper. Will it deliver? We shall see. Uh, but I think, it, and it's interesting because now it's going to be an exciting game. I think fans are more interested my only concern is now that I think they'll be too interested because now we're going to put way too much stock on the result of this game because <laughs> if they lose, then the the, sea, the the sky is falling and everybody should be fired. And if they win, they're one of the best teams in the country. And maybe the answer is not either one of those things. But I think if you're a player and you're going to play in this bowl game, you should be excited. And now, you know, if you're UCF and if you beat BYU, you have a chance to probably finish the year in the top 25 for a fourth season in a row. And, Maybe to some people, you know, uh, leave on a good note and maybe start the a good, you know, feel good about 2021 going forward. So I hope it's, it should be an entertaining game. It should be an entertaining game uh, if both teams show up. But in bowl games, as you guys know, sometimes certain teams don't show up and we get disappointed. So we'll see. Uh, the line, according to Odd Shark, is BYU by four. That's actually down wow. from five. Uh, 60, wow. 60% of the money's on the Cougars. 
Uh, over under 70.5, and 100% of it is on the over. Surprise, yeah, surprise on that one. 70? Only Se- 70? 70 and a half. Yeah. Murr. I was going to say, what that's... Do we gotta call, Murr, what do we call that, it? That, that, that will be price corrected by the Sharps. I like I like that. Uh, the the uh, weather down in Boca, this game will be played at FAU Stadium. Uh, the weather should be very nice. Uh, high 78, low 62, partly cloudy. Um, game time will be right around 70 degrees. I think that certainly favors UCF with uh, BYU coming uh, coming down from the frozen uh, from the frozen tundra of Utah. But um, the uh, so that at least, although you know, if it, it's not like it's 90 or anything like that, but um, it, it should the, at least the weather should be nice. Nice little sea breeze coming off the Atlantic. Um, I'm surprised BYU is that much of a favorite because I really well it's four it's a once you know yeah but I mean I kind of really feel like this is like a de facto UCF home game I mean it's in Boca like BYU is the one that's driving flying all over the place and it's not like that place is going to be packed though come on no no but I'm just saying just a traditional hey you're they got to I don't know when BYU is getting into Florida but if I'm assuming they're getting in the day before like a road game I mean that's you're making a cross flight um, I would have thought that'd be like a pick 'em, but it may you know, it shows that they have a, the nation, the country has a lot of respect for BYU. Perhaps BYU is one of those teams people like to bet on because they've blown a lot of teams out. Um, yeah, that's interesting have. though. That does surprise me though. I'm surprised. The uh, their results is they played two teams in the American. BYU has they won in Annapolis uh, at Navy in that opener. Remember that game? Everyone's like, "Whoa, what happened in Navy?" Fifty-five to three. Uh, the only common opponent between UCF and BYU this year was Houston. Uh, BYU won at Houston 43-26 in a game where uh, Wilson threw for 400 yards. Uh, and uh, and they looked pretty good in that one. They're coming off a win at San Die- uh, against San Diego State 28-14. That was, that was their uh, bounce-back game right after losing at Coastal Carolina by five. Um, they've... Boy, they have put up some points this year. BYU has 45 on La Tech, 48 on Troy, 52 on Texas State, 51 on Boise State, and that was in Boise too, in a game that pounding was that, pounding that over. Pound that over, baby. Uh, they oh, wait. I mean, that's that's. I can't believe that's only 70. What do we? I mean, here's the only thing I'm worried about. Guys. I think that one's going to get corrected. <laughs> are we are we missing something though here? Because I always I don't try to second guess Vegas because usually they get the last laugh. So what are we missing here? What am I either from the spread or the over under? What 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 what's the theory here? Because I'm stunned by those numbers. Well, I think the spread is easy because you're looking at a ranked team in in, in BYU versus an unranked team in UCF. I think people are giving them a little more favor. And again, they've only lost one game, and it was a it was a last second loss to a top 15 team. So uh, I, you know that's probably why they're favored over UCF, uh, just because of where they are in the rankings. The over-under, I don't, I don't really know. Not that it should be like – it shouldn't it, – like it's not going to be like 85, but it should be closer to like 70 – it should probably be more like – it should probably be another touchdown. Like, I mean, yeah. like 77, like yeah. It's well, like, are, are they thinking that because it's on grass and it's outdoors – no, it's in Florida. In, in this, who cares? <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm just throwing stuff out there. I, I, you know, I mean, if it was if it was inside, it would be uh, it would probably be different, right? You literally just told me how good of a day it's going to be. I know, I know. Day. I'm just, you know, I'm just thinking. The only thing I can think of, like, it'd be one thing if it was a team like Cincinnati that's ball control, and maybe they, do they think BYU is just going to be ball control? But that's not really who BYU yeah, is. Yeah, that's not what they do. Um, 
So, and it's not like the teams are going to be off by a month, and you can use the the, the theory that hey, you know, they're going to they're they're flat or they haven't they don't have a rhythm because they've been off for so long. I don't. I mean, I'm, it's really. Well, I, I, mean, I mean, all it takes is a 38-34 game, basically. I mean, UCF I would, yeah. has been UCF has been off since the end of November. They're going to be off for about three weeks. They're, they'll they'll have certainly more time on the sidelines than BYU. So. True. True. <laughs> And, and, again, we don't know who's going to play in this game yet. Certainly, you know, Marlon Williams will not, uh, saying his goodbyes already. And then do we see Richie Grant or Aaron Robinson at all? Like, what's the point mm. now? And I know people, okay, I, like, people want to make this to be the most important game of the season. It's not. It never was going to be. Uh, please don't do this to yourself. If you yes. this, Don't make this game more important than it is, which it's not that important. It is an exhibition. Stop uh, telling ultimately, us how to feel, Murph. I know. Ultimately, that's the this stuff game I get. Will, <laughs> this game will will decide nothing. Either what, way, by the way. Either way. Either way. Whatever has been decided already in terms of like, there's going to be a coaching change or whatever, who's leaving or are players going to stay or leave or are they going to take? You know, obviously tonight we got the news of, of the immediate eligibility for all for all D1 transfer players. You know. All that's already been decided. Like, this bowl game result will not change a thing. Not one thing, except for probably people, you know, like for like 12 hours, either celebrating how great UCF is or complaining about how bad UCF is. And that's it. It'll, it'll just go away after that. It'll, it'll, it'll vanish. And we will hopefully remember uh, what was an exciting game at the least, because it should be at least that. Can I tell you? Can I tell you guys one thing about this matchup? Mm. I don't like it. Oh, I I'm a little worried. Push the panic button. I'm I'm ready to hit the panic button. Woo! I'm ready to hit the panic I mean, button. I mean, who would you rather play? I mean, I, yeah, oh, like, oh, to be honest with you, just like you're saying, a lousy ACC team. At least you can say, at least you can say you know you beat an ACC team at the end of it. I mean, I like I like hanging those pelts on the wall. You know, playing BYU, you never know what you're gonna get. Um, they, uh, uh, they, uh, Wilson, man, he's good. He's yeah. really good. I, he's considered a first round prospect. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, look. I mean, that's what's so exciting about that. You're gonna see a great quarterback matchup here. I disagree. I don't think you gain anything by beating a bad ACC team. In fact, you have more to lose because if you lose to a bad ACC team, people are laughing at you. Whereas, you know, this one's like, hey, man, it's an interesting matchup. I, 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 well, I don't think it's about that. I don't think that's a, a factor at all here. I mean, take this stuff with a grain of salt here. So uh, BYU is third in the country in scoring defense, 14.6. But that's because they played basically a bunch of Conference USA teams, uh, incl- including North Alabama, who's not a Conference USA team. They're, a, they're an FCS team, and they threw 66 on them. Um their uh, red zone defense is seventh in the country. I mean, it's it's hard to evaluate BYU's defense because of right. the competition that they've played. Which I mean, let's let's be honest, it hasn't been it hasn't been you know overly great. They played no Power Five conference teams, so called Power Five conference teams. But you know, here they are at ten and one, five points away from being undefeated. <laughs> so, but you could argue they only played one or good one good team, and they lost that game. Um, that's that's why I'm surprised they're at that big of a favorite over UCF, but we'll see. We're going to find out. I mean, that's the beauty. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they, played, they, they, they took it to Boise. Boise, I saw that game. He, they had their third-string quarterback because the starter had COVID and the backup got hurt. 
So that was kind of quirky. You mean but, Boise had the, had the quarterback? Yeah, 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 for Boise, yeah. So I will say this. One thing that is interesting matchup here, and I know we're going to do – I guess we're going to do a preview show, a breaking news here. Mm-hmm. But the line of scrimmage, to your, now, if you want to be concerned, BYU, and, and according to Pro Football Focus, has one of the best offensive lines in the country. Now you could say, hey, look at the opponents. But if you watch BYU, they protect Wilson very well. Yeah, and do. that's been an issue at times with UCF up front is their defense getting beat up by the offensive line. So if BYU controls the line of scrimmage and Wilson has all day, that could be a big problem for UCF. So that would be the part that worries me going into this game is Zach Wilson may have a lot of time to throw against that UCF defense, which Murph, you've kind of highlighted, might be shorthanded for various reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's one reason why – that's another reason why maybe we should, you know, pound the over on this because I'm not sure – that. UCF's defense, which I, last we saw it, I don't remember it being too good. Mm. <laughs> but uh, it's not what it, you want, as you like to say. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> what you want. Uh, but now you take away, you know, maybe their two best defensive backs, and then well, now what do you have? Uh, yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll see. Well, and, you know, I don't know. And, and those two guys are probably not. You know, if they are skipping, I, we don't know yet. But I would imagine there's more too. So, uh, so you know, we'll see who shows up. Okay. I'll be there. I mean, I think so. I haven't been approved yet, but I <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of important. Yeah. Well, we'll, fig- we'll figure that. It's 2020. We'll take it as it comes. Um, well, I don't know. It, well, the, the interesting part about BYU is if you say, "Well, let's play the Coastal Carolina book." Well, Coastal Carolina ran for 281 yards and only passed yep. the ball 15 times. Control the tenor. clock too. Control, control the clock. The very clock, much so. Kept Wilson, and maybe that's the reason why this number's at seventy. I wonder, you know, is are we really overthinking the or making too much of the passing game when both of these teams are maybe capable, like in UCF's case, to do what Coastal Carolina did and dominate BYU up front on the defensive line and run for 250, 300 yards. The difference is Coastal doesn't run a fast offense like UCF, but that's a great point. The line of scrimmage, look. We could talk fancy quarterbacks and all this. Who's winning the line of the battle at the line of scrimmage is going to decide this game. Like it usually does in 90, 90% plus of these football games. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to piggyback on something or kind of go, or circle back on something that, that, that Eric said a little while ago about UCF's, you know, front and not pushing the pocket enough. Let's remember that since the, the, the four dismissals on defense, UCF pass rush has been better. They've had yeah. uh, 13 sacks in four games. Since that dismissal, before that, in five games, they had eight sacks. So this has actually been a little bit better of a, of a, of a pressure front with the likes of Trayvon Morris-Brashkin were playing time, Cam Good playing really well up front too. So with those guys, they've been actually better than they were previously. All right. Well, uh, in the meantime, uh, speaking of guys who are, who, who are getting going to be getting more playing time in the coming days, uh, National, well, not in the coming days, but in the coming years. National Signing Day. Well, it's do we do we really call this National Signing Day? Because it's not really National Signing Day. It's the early first day of the early signing period. Everyone calls it that. I call it that on the article on our site right now, Jeffrey, that you founded, uh, (laughs) as you want to tell us. Yes, Uh, it's that's what it says. That's what it says. All right. Uh, Well, here we are. We've got uh, we've got a new recruiting class coming into uh, UCF. Uh, some of the highlights from the class that came in, um, I think the I think the big highlight was uh, 
Uh, well, if you're wondering about a quarterback, Mikey Keene of Chandler, Arizona came in, uh, 5'11", 185 quarterback. Um, Anthony Hundley from IMG, he was a big guy. I think he was committed to LSU. He's a defensive lineman out of Miami, 6'3", 270. Uh, and uh, another local running back, Anthony Williams from uh, Lake Brantley High School in Altamont Springs, 6'1", 205. Uh, he joins the he joins UCF. Uh, so and and they also oh by the way got another lineman from Germany. His name is Leander Weigand, six five two seventy. Not as tall as Paul Rubelt, but but still ostensibly pretty good. All right, so so obviously we know we know the drill here, right? Like it's there's still more guys to be added to the fray here, especially with the you know because it's the early signing period. We got you know the the traditional national signing day around Groundhog's Day. Um, so it's, the class isn't fully complete, but Murph, like you said, you were following it all day. Um, scraping aside the, uh, pleasantries from the coaching staff about, you know, the wonderful players who UCF has added to the fray. Did they get what they needed in terms of filling some voids? Yeah, I think so. I think when they looked at their voids, they really wanted to address defensively, Defensive line, I think, was the most pressing need for at least what that's what Josh Heupel said today was that was the position where they really focused the most, and they picked up four players so far. They might actually have one more coming uh, here soon, but they've got at least they've got four, including Hunley, the, the 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 transfer or not the transfer, but the longtime LSU commit. He was committed to LSU for more than a year, I believe, since November of 2019, and then decommitted in December of this year. Um, so yeah, they got, you know, some big bodies up front and then some more tall defensive backs. They got five defensive backs, four of which are six, two or taller. Um, you know, and so again is, you know, we may forget about Tay Gowan and Brandon Moore, but you know, they're no longer here and then neither will Richie Grant and, and Aaron Robinson be here either. And so it's going to be a very, you know, young nucleus in, in that defensive backfield for a while, especially those cornerbacks because now you've got your freshman that played so much this year will turn into sophomores and they'll battle these guys and it'll be interesting to watch. I'm fascinated a little bit at UCF's tight end room. UCF added two more tight ends today uh, and and they added three more in early signing day last year and then you have Jake Hescock coming back anyway. They have a lot of tight ends. Uh, <laughs> are they going to move over to defensive line too? <laughs> I would would imagine that uh, that that you know there'd be, there'd be some people there who would probably transfer because just you know it's not in space. Um, but the two tight ends they got uh, six foot five Nathan uh, Borboom and six foot seven Charlie Browder. I mean, just big dudes. Those are large dudes. Uh, large large humans, as it were. Anthony Williams is a really intriguing prospect because at, he's you know he's a freshman at Lake Brantley, or he will be. And he's six foot one, almost two hundred pounds. Like he's not your typical like. UCF, you know, dash and race kind of back where you know, he's a he's a pounder, he's a grinder. Yeah. He's a little um, bit more more Taj McGowan than uh, than you know Adrian uh, Killens. Adrian Killens, yeah, right, absolutely. So I, I think that's an interesting get there. And then there's like the little you mentioned it with the with the 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 the, the going back into the German offensive line pool with Weigen. Yes, I, I, I think we can call that a pipeline now. <laughs> I, I love these little, like, little weird pipelines that UCF has got going on now. So, like, obviously they had the Hawaii quarterback pipeline. Now it's the Arizona quarterback pipeline because yeah. they got one last year in Parker Navarro. And they go, you know what? 
Okay, another one for Mike Keen. Oh, remember last year we got a linebacker from Arkansas? Oh, yeah, quite Mosher, sure. Let's go get another one in Cole Joyce. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, that offensive lineman from Germany? Sure, get another one. Let's go. I, I got I got uh, another one for you, Eric Lopez. We got another we got another uh, uh, guy, another defensive player from Buford, Georgia, alongside our boy Trey Neal. Uh, wow. Defensive, or the defensive lineman uh, Matthew Alexander from Buford High School. That's interesting. I didn't yep. know that ties. Let me ask you both this, because I got this question throughout the day, I guess. Uh, the lack of Florida kids in the class. Are you bothered by that or not? I feel like we're going back to the O'Leary days, because I remember O'Leary used to get criticized for not having enough Florida kids. Is that a... Are we seeing a similar thing here? Is that overblown? I don't. Uh, I defer to you guys on that. Murph? So Josh Heibel was actually asked that today because I think UCF uh, only has they, – they, right now they have 19 confirmed signings, and, and they have space for three or four more. Uh, you'll probably see them dip into the transfer market here in the, in the winter and spring. Um, but they only have – only five of the guys they signed today came from Florida, and so – Josh was asked about that and, and basically just sort of said that's just sort of how it played out, um, you know, and, and, you know, but also because of COVID, yes, you weren't able to get guys face to face, but you could basically reach out to anywhere because all you needed to get was a good Internet connection and, and, and a Zoom app and you can talk to guys. And so they were talking to a lot of guys from different states, you know, much quicker than they would have been if they had, you know, traveling or traveling around the country. They, they didn't have to do that anymore. So I think they, I think because of the circumstances, the the net they were casting was was made wider because of the ease of access to more athletes. Interesting. Um, and, and I think, and I think traditional. I think, I think overall though, part of it is that's just kind of the way they played out. They go out and they they look for guys they want and and certain body types, certain skill sets, and those guys just happen to not be in the state of Florida. I mean. It, you know, UCF now seems to be uh, monopolizing wide receivers from Texas because now they have four of them on their team. They added another wide receiver named Jalen from Texas today. Jalen Griffin is a Juco kid from Kilgore, Texas. So he'll team up with Jalen Robinson, Ryan O'Keefe, and Kavan Ahmad, who are all from, who are all from and, uh, Texas. So, and Murph, he's I, a big kid too, right? 6'3", 182? Yeah, big, tall, leg. Big target, yeah. I could see them giving a, an outside – Another big outside target, really, um, and and so yeah, you're not you're not getting a ton, ton of Florida kids right now. But like, I, I'm not complaining about Texas athletes. I'm not complaining about Georgia athletes. Last I checked, they can they breed them pretty good up there too. Um, so yeah, like I don't think it's a big deal. I know I know people really want more Florida kids to have that in home connection, but as long as you get the players you want and they meet your system and you can sort of see how you can mold them to be the best players. Uh, and to get them to reach their ceiling, then I really don't care where they come from. I do think that's an interesting point about how, you know, recruiting has changed in the presence of COVID-19. You think this will be like a one-year thing? Like, you know, if, if all goes well, pandemic goes away, next year's recruiting class, you, would you expect to see more Florida kids? Or do you think that that would be, you know, the sort of the nationalization of recruiting <clears throat> for a for a program at UCF? So usually you only hear about like, you know, the big blue chip programs doing that. You know, and UCF has kind of built itself a national brand. Do you think? It, do you think they come back a little bit more toward home next year? Do you think this is an every year thing now? I, I, I so I don't, I don't know that. It's hard, it's hard to guess. I would say that people, the, the coaches, still want to see these kids up close in the flesh. Mm -hmm. They want to shake their hand and get to talk to them and get to know them. 
as as much as they've gotten to know them well through Zoom chats and FaceTimes, it's not. We all know this now. We've all been through this. It's not the same as meeting face to face and seeing the person in real life. So you still want to get that connection. But I don't. But but now because you've recruited these different areas across the country, like you've spread your brand out across. You know, like Arizona now has a bit of a UCF quarterback pipeline now, and so I think this has actually helped UCF uh, dip into dip into other pools that maybe they wouldn't have reached out to before, and now those markets are more open to them in future years. Um, but to your point of like, well. Florida, you know, uh, uh, scouting Florida kids means something. Yeah, sure it does. Uh, Anthony Williams, you know, is a former teammate of Demarius Good at Lake Brantley. And I think that th- that connection is a big reason why Williams decided to commit here. Uh, and and then the uh, the kid from LSU, whose name I'm, or the kid who committed to LSU, Anthony Hunley. Uh, Hunley. Yeah, Hunley. He went to Booker T. Washington, which and he was teammates with Corey Thornton and Jermaine McMillan. And Heupel said today that that connection with the two guys that are on UCF's team now, uh, growing up, going to high school in Florida, that made that made that was a big, big uh, that was a bit that was a big reason why Hunley decided to make the change. So certainly, those Florida bonds will continue to run deep. You need to you need to um, you know take advantage of those any way you can, but. Also, I, I guess it's you know two sides of the, two sides of, a, of the same coin. You now have expanded to different areas because of because you've been forced to do this now. But you can now because now you've opened up these other pipelines. You've got so much more of the country open to you. Yeah, interesting well, too. Hunley also also by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt, Eric, but I just yeah. want to get to that. Hunley um, went to Booker T, won the 4A state title as a junior in 19, and then went to IMG Academy over in Bradenton for a senior year too, and kind of. Got honed a little bit more over there too, so he's he's something to be excited about. Go ahead, Eric. I think to answer your question, Jeff, to add to what Murph said, because I saw a lot of coaches today, obviously talked and, and TV shows and press conferences. The sense is next year is the one that's the more challenging class because a lot of the guys now in this class, odds are you already had a relationship prior to the pandemic. A lot of these guys probably were already on cam- visited campus at some point. The issue is moving forward is for the next year's class how many of those guys have you been able to talk, see in person how many of them have actually visited the campus i think that's next year is an interesting one and depending on what happens in 2021 and do the recruiting rules get relaxed are we better are we not are we still in the same boat i think coaches and and talking to them not just in football by the way i've talked to them in different sports they're more worried about next year because that's where the you know, relationships still matter in recruiting at the end of the day. That's the key. It's hard and, no, and technology's great, but there's something to be said for that in-person relationship, being the, seeing everything in person, the campus, the atmosphere. I think those are concerns that some of the, I th- I've seen coaches have that next year is the bigger concern. More, more, they were more, they're more concerned about next year's class than they were about this year. That's a good point, Eric, because some of these kids at UCF, got today they've been on them since this you know the 2019 i think ethan mort the offensive tackle from venice i think ucf first offered him back in the spring of 2019 so like they're they've been on these kids for a while way before the pandemic so they already knew kind of what they were getting uh, you know coach halsley and coach golish went out and saw mikey Keene in arizona before the pandemic uh took hold 
you're able to get those t- that time with the guy with the athlete in person to help sort of complement the last eight months of research as well. You're going to get less and less of that, obviously, if nothing changes as far as you know the world climate, and, and we're forced to do this for a longer period of time. Yes, you're going to see le- less and le- more and more prospects signed without you know any face-to-face contact. Interesting. All right. The other thing that that I that I think we should touch upon is the transfer portal and how much that has affected recruiting because you know now we can view it as sort of is it the case where you know like is free agency starting to supplant the draft so to speak like is the transfer market um changing you know how how much is that changing how recruiting is done now when it comes to bringing in high school kids I uh, so it's still going to be certainly a tool for you to plug holes in your roster. But again, I think most coaches still want to go the way of it of, I want to bring in kids here that I can develop, be a part of the culture, be a part of the program that I can use for two or three years and, and, and build something off of them. And then, the, you know, and, and that still is the wide majority of these roster spots. You know, you're seeing, you know, 19, 20, 21 kids get signed per class. And, and then whatever you can have other fewer spots available. Well, if I need something, I'll go get it on the transfer market. I, I don't think you're going to see a shift to where, well, now, since everyone's immediately eligible, you know, it's going to be like half and half. I don't think you're going to see that because coaches want to build players for the long haul mm. and to build, and, and you can't really, you know, I think they are, I think they are against uh, having to re basically restructure their roster year after year with, with seniors, grad transfers, who have not been here, who are unfamiliar with the surroundings, who are unfamiliar with the client, with the climate and the culture, the campus, all of that. They want guys to be here and to ground them here and to have them sort of rise through the ranks. All right. So, well, we got a little bit more on that on the site. Obviously, blackandgoldbanneret.com. Murph has an outstanding uh, wrap of the uh, and Don't get caught up in the period. stupid rankings on that. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> you know why? Okay. Uh, we also have, I was linking to it earlier today, our football player development database where we take a look at all the star rankings of all the recruiting classes UCF has brought in compared to how they did, did uh, compared to how they performed as UCF Knights for every recruiting class going back to George O'Leary's very first in 2004. So we're going way back on that one and I'm really proud of that. We have it through 2015 and I'm going to update it with the 2016 class over winter break because it's we're still not fully complete with that class. But once all those guys have gone, uh, then we'll go ahead and add them in there. So make sure you check that out as well. Player development matters, people. Player so development. UCF, that's right. You, you said, I mean, nationally, UCF is ranked, right now, this could change, UCF is ranked 59th on Rivals, 60th on 24-7 Sports. All of their prospects were three-star prospects. Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Does not matter. matter. You win zero trophies for your right. recruiting rankings. Zero. But especially, especially with the transfer market, because you have to include guys you add in the transfer market to this class to the class, because that's the. It's kind of like the NFL. There's a free. There's the NFL draft, which is still the the draft, which is still how you really built your team. But then there's the free agent. You're not going to judge a team until after it's done with both of those aspects. So I think it's kind of actually. I think it's kind of outdated to rank teams now in December how they did in a class. I think there's got to be a way where you include transfers by, like, March. And I wonder 
if down the road maybe we do like a national transfer portal day where we kind of just wrap up all the transfers and the site. And now you all, now you can get a better feel for what teams have. Cause now you can pretty much, you, you know, if, you, if there's something you didn't address in your draft, in your class, you can address it free in the transfer portal. And I will also point this out. Texas has top 15 classes every year. Iowa state never always is in the bottom half of the big 12 in recruiting. Matt Campbell and Iowa state are a better program than Texas right now. Why is that? There's not cause they're getting five stars. It's cause they're developing guys. Period. Mm. Yep. Yeah. So. Also, uh, a quick addendum to this, because obviously, and Eric, I want to make sure I'm right on this. The, the 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 announcement that came out tonight, the D1 Council passing the immediate eligibility waiver. Does that apply to? Does that apply to football for this season as well? Like, is that immediate? Immediate? Do you know that? I don't know that. It was not very clear on that. I think I got the yeah. sense. It was more like spring. I got the sense. Here, here's what. Here's the. Uh, let me let me. I look, I'm sorry. Let me go ahead and and look. Well, I, and, uh, the reason why I ask is uh, so I'm like, you know, we've been sitting here when we've been sitting on two transfers who have not <laughs> been eligible to play all season for UCF. J- Jaden Francois uh, uh, from Nebraska and Deontay Marks from Florida. And I'm like, wait a minute, could they play in the Boca Bowl now? <laughs> <laughs> the statement from the from Caroline Lee, the vice chair of the NCAA Division One SAAC. Uh, oh no, she's a student athlete advisory committee. This is the D1 Council athletic director at Penn, M. Grace Calhoun, the chair of the NCAA D1 Council. The council continued its trend of voting in favor of maximum flexibility for student athletes during the pandemic, allowing transfer student athletes to compete immediately. Will provide additional opportunities for student athletes during this continued difficult time, perhaps allow games to be played that otherwise might not have been. No mention of what sport it was. Uh, all right, in order to be eligible for the waiver, all right. The transfer student-athletes must meet the following conditions. Number one, they must be enrolled full-time at the school for the fall 2020 term. Number two, it must be the first transfer from a four-year school. Number three, the student-athlete must have left their previous school school in good standing academically and not facing disciplinary suspension. And number four, both the head coach and the student-athlete must certify that impermissible recruiting did not take place. Of course not. Why would they do that? Um, has happened before. Yeah. Know why they would it, is it is applicable. It says here in the, in the NCAA's uh, statement, actually, which just came down. Applicable to all sports. The waiver was initially, yeah. was initially proposed by the Women's Basketball Coach Association supported by the Men's and Women's Basketball Oversight Committees, uh, the Student Athlete Experience Committee, and the National Association of Basketball Coaches, but they just expanded it to everybody. So that would be football. I have no idea if that means that anybody would be... Um, Added to here in the waning hours, ninety six hours before the bowl game. Are they I mean, coming? Out? I mean, those guys, those guys have been practicing, right? I mean, there was <laughs> clips of of you know UCF's been having a little fun this week doing other stuff outside of practice. They had a you know a big man on big man, man to man, you know wide receiver, you know uh, matchup. Where they I were, like, saw that. That looked like it was a lot and of fun, man. Sign that, jo- get get some receiver gloves for Josh Selisgar, man. That dude can that dude can play. Apparently he was a high school tight end, which makes a ton of sense because he looks very fluid. Um, but yeah, and then they had, you know, they they had a clip of Jaden Francois running a route against a wide receiver, and I'm like, you know, he's still there. Like we keep forgetting, like he's been practicing all year, and you know, so has Deontay Marks, and they're not eligible. And so are they now? And since they've been practicing, like, couldn't it be feasible that they could get into the game? Sure, I, I would imagine so, oh, yeah. given tonight's ruling. Well, if you see Murph, and when you're there, if you see somebody from UCF handing over the ref a briefcase there with a contract, that means they might be playing. It's like a money in the bank. There you go. It's, it's God. All right. 
All right, speaking of the transfer market, we will talk about that in just a second. Maybe one, maybe one of the greatest UCF players of all time has decided his destination. Mackenzie Milton is going to Florida State. We'll talk about the impact of that briefly when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't go away. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you on uh, recording this Wednesday, December 16th. So if something crazy happens, that's when we, we, we only knew everything about it up until this point. But one of the things we do know is, uh, well, Mackenzie Milton has chosen his destination and he is staying in the state of Florida. He announced that he will go to Florida State to play for uh, his to play for Mike Norvell and one of the greatest ironies in recent college football history. Um, he, uh, and it's, it's official. He will be a Florida State Seminole. Um, quote from uh, Mike Norvell. Quote, he is someone I have a tremendous amount of respect for. And quote, no kidding. Uh, I think he's a tremendous competitor. And I think he has a great deal of talent mentally and physically. And I think he'll be a tremendous asset to this team and program. Uh, of course, Norvell is 0-3 against, uh, against Mackenzie Milton all time. <laughs> Uh, and uh, McKenzie has also dropped 11 touchdowns on Mike Norvell's head in those three games uh, as well. So, uh, and also, and and won uh, at least one conference championship in that respect. Uh, so, anyway, um, Eric, I'll start with you. You're the guy who likes Florida State out of all of us. Uh, the the uh, what do you think? I mean, I, I'm a little surprised. I I I, I was. I don't know. I was surprised, but not that surprised that he stayed in state. The Norvell connection is the obvious one. Um, but you follow Florida State quickly. You've been a fan of Florida State since you were a kid. Um, is he going to be all right up there? It's a good question, right? Like, I think from a foot, you know, there, there are issues on that roster. The offensive line has not been good, really going back on four years. I mean, this goes back to Jimbo's last couple years when I think we all remember Francois getting crushed, the quarterback there. So they've got some yeah, issues. Yeah, that first game against wise. was at Alabama, right? He got hurt. He got hurt. They haven't yeah. been the same since. So I think there's some roster questions, concerns there from that standpoint. How you know? But as I wrote, um, and I think I've talked to this on the air, off the air, you could want everything to be perfect. But when you're transferring to a place, odds are you're not going to find a perfect spot there's going to be a flaw somewhere. Either there's too much talent at quarterback or something is not right with the line of scrimmage, or maybe the team you want to go to is not interested in. So you have to balance all that out. What I would tell you is that Mike Norvell and his offensive coordinator reached out, according to McKenzie, when he talked to Mike Bianchi about the first day that he announced that he was on the transfer portal. So they're interested in him. And what I've written about on black and gold banneret about it, and the reason why I thought Florida State was at least a top two, top three destination, better than Nebraska, when which every media darling, oh, it's a given. He's going back to Nebraska. No, no, no he way. He's, he's never I going never to Nebraska. I said it was a given. I said that's what I wanted to have. <laughs> All right. There you go. Murph's being honest. Um, but the thing is, Florida State is the best position for him to start right away. The competition is not great there at Florida State quarterback-wise. Uh, they currently have Jordan Travis, who's more of an athlete, in my opinion, than a true quarterback. He's a great runner, very suspect passer, can't stay healthy. So, And then they have Brock per, uh, Chubba Purdy, who's the younger brother of Brock Purdy, who's the quarterback at Iowa State. He's broken his collarbone, I think, a couple times this year. He's a freshman. So they don't have a ton there. 
I think McKenzie's the better passer in that roster. So, and I said, he doesn't have to be a hundred percent to start there. Now, are there flaws with the roster? Absolutely. Mike Novell has to fix that, whether it be with the recruiting class or in the transfer portal. But I also think that McKenzie wants to play. And, and I think at the end of the day, he, he he's about where can I play? Where can I show that I'm back and I'm close to what I was before? And I think Florida State does provide that for him. And add to the fact that we don't know what the Miami situation is because we don't know if De'Ara King is coming back. Uh, or not. I don't know. Did Miami end up with the Garcia kid at quarterback? I know they were in the mix for him in the recruiting cycle, so I don't know what how that ended up. They may not have been an option. Arkansas, I thought, was an option, but they were, they've been playing their freshman quarterbacks the last couple of weeks when, uh, when Felipe Frank's having some injuries. So at the end of the day, I think this is the right spot for him because Florida State wants him, and I think he wants him back. And he mentioned the tradition there at FSU. Uh, and he gets to stay in Florida, which I think we've kind of forgotten about this. Remember, his family moved to Florida. I don't know if he wanted to move to another state again. I think he likes the Florida. Let's be honest. It's pretty good weather in the state. So uh, I think he's going to start, and then we'll see how successful it is, and I think it depends on what your definition of success is. Is he going to lead him to a national title? No, but if he leads him to a bowl season, I think that's a huge success. Heck, heck. I think Murph would probably tell you right now, hey, the fact that he's even going to start, if he starts, it's a success. Because nobody thought that even a year ago. That is my barometer. That is absolutely my barometer. Uh, so I come at this from a very different point of view. Um, I'm trying to like figure out how to like shape this into an article, and I'll do it at some point because this story is going to have plenty of legs. But to me, Mackenzie Milton means so much more – outside of the realm of playing a football game, even more so than he did while on the field because of what he has done as a human being and and showing his, his toughness, resilience, courage, all of that while off the field just so he could come back and get squashed again by 300-pound men. Because <laughs> why? He loves to do it. He, this is what he wants. Uh, and there is a there's a deep human lesson that we can all learn from McKenzie that has nothing to do with football. It has nothing to do with football. And he was great. He was a great quarterback, and he did a lot of great things for UCF, and UCF's campus benefited for it. Like, there's buildings that are being built that wouldn't have happened if, if McKenzie Milton and that team don't win the national title. And this brand, this program, obviously, isn't where it is now, if not for McKenzie Milton. And yet, to me, his lasting impact almost has nothing to do with football because of the last two years of what he has shown to be as a person and what everyone can take from him, even if you don't even know who he is or even care one iota about college football, you can care about Mackenzie Milton. Uh, yeah. And so, yes, my barometer for him is if he plays, then it win, and everything else is gravy. Because, again, he was minutes away from losing his leg. Um, and, that's not and how he so looks at it, also, though, He doesn't look at it that way. I mean, I think you look at it that way, and I, others do. I, I, I hear you. But I think he genuinely believes – he's about competing. He's kind of like – I mean, I know the comparison has been made, but Alex Smith started for Washington, has led them to some victories. I know he got injured again, nothing as serious, thankfully. But I, I think he wants to compete. Like, I think this is – I don't think he's just happy like, hey, guy – and he said that. He doesn't want to just do this for, like, you know, sentimental things. He wants to play and compete. Well, I'm not – and, again, I'm not – I'm not, I'm not casting what – I, I'm not. I'm not coming from his point of view. I'm only saying what my barometer is. I understand what McKenzie's barometer is. He wants to go out there and win. He wants to go out there and show he's McKenzie Milton 
damn it, all over again. 2017, never left. That's what he wants to show. My barometer is different because I, I, you know, I just have this, I have this image in mind of him in in South Florida, then and him coming back from that all the way is miraculous in itself. In itself, and also, I understand that McKenzie does not want to be seen as a, some sort of sentimental darling, but he also understands what he has gone through and how close he came to never being able to do this. He talked about this with Brandon Wimbush on Instagram live feed a few months ago about he understands because of the quick actions of the doctors on the field, Barry Vander Heiden, and then the doctors at Tampa General, their quick actions, that's what enabled him to even think about doing this. Because again, slight delays here and there could change his entire situation. And then of course, when he was talking to ESPN game day a couple, a couple weeks ago, and he told the story about how he developed an infection in his leg and there did seem to be a seed of doubt planted in his mind. He talked about, you know, do I really want to do this? And so yeah, I'm sure there have been times where he has felt doubt and, and didn't know if he could overcome this. And yet through all of it, he has. And now um, now all that needs to be left is, is he going to be physically clear for full contact? And he has not done that yet. He's not been able to do that yet. But that is coming um, because of what McKenzie told Mike Bianchi from the Orlando Sentinel – he will go to the Mayo Clinic, which is where his, sur- his surgeon is, uh, in January for a two-year examination checkup. In that examination, he is expected to get the full go uh, from his doctors to clear him for full contact. And he says, I'll be locked and loaded for spring ball and ready to compete for the job. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. But also, I don't think this would happen. I don't think FSU would be signing him if they also didn't believe that he could come back. Like them signing him lets us all know that, like, yeah, he's coming back. They're investing in him, not because they're praying or hoping. Like, no, they know he's going to be coming mm-hmm. back. Oh, also, props, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Props to, props to whoever did Mackenzie Milton's uh, announcement Instagram post. It is the most beautiful, uh, like, transfer uh, announcement I've ever seen in my life. It's got used, you got Mackenzie Milton in the, FS, in the FSU uniform overlooking the uh, – Hawaii Beach, there's a double rainbow behind him. There's like a halo and a lens flare. You got the flowers off to the side. It's it's a work of art. Good on you. Uh, and whoever was the graphics team that put that together, was that FSU or a private, private person that did that for McKenzie? My God, that was beautiful. My my thought on it is, I know that McKenzie has to say, you know, all the right things. Like, I'm looking forward to really coming in and competing and all that kind of stuff. Like, I would have loved to have heard that phone conversation between him and Mike Norvell because I'm fairly sure that his first question is going to be, look, coach, I'm going to be ready to play in January. Am I going to start? Are you going to let me start? And, you know, you know, my, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure. What my, I'll tell you what Mike said. He's like, hey, uh, McKenzie, you've seen our quarterbacks. What do you think? <laughs> Trust me, we got a spot for you, buddy. What do you think I'm calling you? Yeah, uh, that, but that would be that would have been my thought on it is, you know, hey, uh, yeah, of course you're going to start. <laughs> look, look what's ahead of you. Um I was watching a little bit of the reaction on the Florida State side because um, I was curious. And they're all like, well, he's not going to. And, and I saw quite a few of them say, oh, he's not going to play in front of Jordan Travis. I'm like, yeah, he is. Right, Eric? I mean, he's going to play in front of Travis, right? Who the heck is saying that? What are they, what are they couple, on? Yeah, can, we get, can we get it tested? Like, <laughs> look, Jordan Travis, I think people were like, yeah, he's exciting. He is a fun, exciting runner. Against Duke. Uh <laughs> Not against real teams. Um, I think Jordan Travis is still going to have a spot on the roster, as I mentioned. I think they're going to play them both. I think there's going to be packages for Travis as far as a runner because I think 
I don't know if McKenzie could be the runner that he was pre-injury. I think that's a lot to ask. Okay, okay but here's about, here's the thing. Here's the thing about that though that drives me crazy, is, yeah. and you and I have talked about this before. I I hate when you have like when you have an offense. It's like okay, we're running this, we're running this package, and we have this quarterback in there. But when but when we want to do this, this other quarterback goes in because you are just telegraphing to the defense what you're going to do, and I, I I just don't see. You know, and a lot of people talk about this with like Daryl Mack, right? When he was here in uh, in twenty nineteen, but that's to me the reason why UCF didn't use that package very much is because the defense knows, oh, Mack is in, they're going to run it. So even though he could, even though he could throw the ball, that's that's what they're going to do. So I don't think they're going to do. It. I, I and, and if I was Mike Norvell, I wouldn't do it. I would I would be like, I'm running with McKenzie the whole time, and I'll just make sure that I have good protection around him. That's what I would do. The difference there is Max not the a, an exciting runner like Jordan Travis. Like Jordan Travis, like I'll give you the a better comparison is what Urban Meyer did with Tim Tebow and Chris Leak in his Tebow's freshman year. Tebow was in there because he was a arguably their best runner out of the backfield as far as running backs, quarterbacks, etc. I would say the same thing for Jordan Travis. He's the type of player that with his ball in his hands, he's he can make he can make big plays. So that's the only difference. I'm not saying that he's going to be the quarterback and, you know, run the wildcat. I'm saying they're going to get the ball in his hands, whether it be as in the quarterback position, he could line up at running back if they want it. I mean, they could do some different things. They hope they'll have plenty of time to figure all that out. I just don't see Jordan Travis just sitting on the bench because he's too much of a playmaker and you need playmakers around. I mean, um, We've seen that before with quarterbacks being used. So, but McKenzie has to prove that he's, you know, he's worthy of the starter. I, I think he will, um, and I think they know him, and they should fit in the system. And it's going to be an exciting story. It's going to be a national story. As of now, Florida State is scheduled to host Notre Dame on Labor Day Sunday night. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of national attention. I was going to say Tom Rinaldi was probably going to be in town doing a feature on him, but now we have, we have learned while we record that he's leaving ESPN for Fox. So, Murph, there's a spot open for you right now. Get, get, get that, get up. Can you get McKenzie to cry? It's going to be you and Andrea Adelson battling it out in Tallahassee to get that Milton story there, right there. Okay. Yeah. Well, Andrew's I, done a great job. I'm not encroaching yeah. on that turf. Nah. But let me, yeah. uh, let me ask you this. So, um, if you're a UCF fan, how do you feel? How are you going to feel watching him wearing the garnet and gold? I think, and I wrote this uh, in the article, Marquette, you know, uh, one of the m- more impactful UCF players of all time came from Florida State. Marquette Smith transferred from Florida State in 94, played two years at UCF, is a Hall of Famer, probably, I would say, is a top three at UCF well, running back. Well, don't forget, don't forget Gene McDowell was a longtime assistant point, under yeah, Bobby and Bowden. I, and I, failed, so. I failed to mention that Gene McDowell comes from Florida State. I personally don't see that as a rivalry. They don't play in football. I know they're in the state, but there's a lot of schools in the state. I don't think UCF considers FAU a rival or FIU a rival. I don't think just because you're in the state, you're a rival. Um I think there's a healthy respect there from the fan bases. Like, if he would have gone to Florida, I think there would have been a lot more, like, uh, anger. A lot more, like, you know, kind of like, well, I can't believe he did that. Maybe even Miami to some extent. I don't think that's the case at Florida State. Am I wrong on that? Do you think there's – I guess there's always going to be somebody that's not happy. I, but- I, yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong. I saw a couple of people on Twitter, you know, saying, oh, I only root for UCF. Well, well, then you don't know what you're doing. I mean, it, it, to me, the game is about people, right? And 
and I, I as a as a UCF fan first and foremost personally that poster that you talked about Murph with the you know that that McKenzie had up there for his um for his transfer announcement it did kind of it did kind of hurt seeing him at you know in another team's uniform but at the same token he he elucidated all of the primary reasons why and and he's and uh, I think the one point that Bianchi made I thought that was that was spot on was Mackenzie Milton is transferring for the good of UCF right he doesn't need to be hanging out here any longer than he needs to he doesn't need to be looking over Dylan Gabriel's shoulder lord knows they've been you know shoulder to shoulder in the quarterback room for what 7 years now if you can if you count high school um yeah, I mean, it's it's the right thing. It, it was the right thing to do. Um, it will kind of, you know, if he's and I told uh, some friends of mine earlier. I said, I, you know what I hope happens? I hope he throws for five thousand yards and fifty touchdowns, and Florida State goes seven and six. <laughs> That's what I hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I I really I, I it didn't hurt me to see him in garnet and gold or whatever because I don't really again I don't see his story as a football story and. This is also kind of a good reminder that all college athletes are people, and we should treat them as such and not just treat them as athletes. Uh, but you know, I know people seem to lose sight of that. Of course, so not I just mean, treat I them mean, as ro- I- not just treat them as robots because they wear a uniform and wear and a helmet, right? I mean, yeah, geez. they are. They're people. They're just they're they're really just kids too. 18 to 22, you don't even know what your life is. Um, but whatever, I digress. Uh, he wasn't so going to much- start. He wasn't going to start at UCF either. It's not like, oh my God, we just lost our starter. You yeah, know, you have. You're good. You're fine in that position, he, and that's the kid. I mean, you, he you- could, like, like, could, he could have. If, if if McKenzie had this massive, like, un, like unbridled ego, McKenzie could have hung around and said, no, when I'm ready to go, I want to start over Dylan Gabriel. I want to compete for that job. And yeah. he's like, no, he sees that Dylan. Who is a great fr- like a brother to him? He sees that Dylan is succeeding. He does not want to do anything now to stunt that, so he will go find and make his own path somewhere else. And you know, people are blinded by uniforms. We all root for laundry, and unfortunately, there are. I would say, from what I've seen on social media, I would say the 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 cut is like maybe eighty five to fifteen uh, percent of people. Like eighty five percent, like absolutely like love it, rooting on McKenzie, whatever. And like fifteen percent are like angry that he left and like uh whatever but ultimately this is about a a man a man trying to do what he loves without you know rocking the boat for one of his best friends and setting off setting off his own course and i again there's so much more we can take from that alone than just touchdowns and and snaps and yards and points like it's just so not a football story to me anymore it's a human it's a human story it's a personal story uh, he is an inspiration to so many who don't give a damn about football, uh, yeah. and I cannot wait to see him take a snap. Yeah. I also would say, by the way, did we complain when Storm Johnson transferred from Miami to come here? Well, <laughs> geez, that's, that's not the same side of the coin. No, there. but I'm saying, like, we're cool when we get somebody from the other school, but, whoa, no, how can you take our guy? Yes, but, gotta, uh, yes, but Storm Johnson wasn't arguably the best player in Miami history, let's be honest. <laughs> No, but he, but he's a talented, but no, but he's a talented running back. And again, it's not McKen- the same. 
if McKenzie was starting at UCF next year, I would say yes. There's more right. There's more reason to be upset and stuff. But he's not. He wasn't going to start. This is Dylan Gabriel's team. I actually think McKenzie staying, and I think McKenzie realized that 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 would have been a problem because you would have divided people. Uh, it was it was time it was time for him to move on, and he knew that. So I don't. He said, really, those, he said, he said those exact same yeah. words in that Mahalo video that UCF yeah. put together a couple weeks ago. Like he knows why he's leaving. And anybody who thinks that he is doing UCF dirty uh, just either does not did not see that video, does not care about reasoning, is only caring about sports and only sports, or really just doesn't have a heart. Or is just trolling. There's that also. I guess my question, so that my question to you, based on the feedback, do you think Milton's legacy is he like is is Shaquem Griffin now more popular because he's a full time UC because he played one year at FSU or like we kind of we're used to this as pro sports fans we now see this all the time where the guys change teams so we're getting used to it so but we're not in college I think you're going to see more of this in college with the transfer portal and I'm okay with it I know some are not I'm okay with it because here's an example where the transfer works right because Mackenzie Milton would have been stuck whereas now he's not and I think that's a good thing is to kind of continue his path. But my question to you both now, because I remember when we did the night shift show, people were like, hey, give him a, put a statue for him. Put his, retire his number. Does that kind of calm down now? Do, do people maybe, does he drop a couple of spots in the rankings? Or, uh... or, or, or do we look at it like, for example, like Heat fans, you know, they were upset when Dwayne Wade went to play for the Bulls. But as soon as he came back, it was all forgotten. And we kind of now pretend yeah. it never happened. So what what do you think the legacy is moving forward on? This, this? Is, this to me feels like Johnny Unitas to the Chargers or Joe Namath to the Rams. It's like when you see it there, it's going to be like, what? And then, and then when it's over, and it will be over for Mackenzie Milton after one year. Because he only has one year, right? Only one year of eligibility left, right? Oh no, could have two years. He could get. He, obviously, everyone gets an extra year here, but he still hasn't gotten. He still hasn't actually applied, or I don't know if he's applied, but he could also get a sixth year as a medical hardship. I see. Uh, okay, he could get. Two but years. he would be. He would be twenty four, going on twenty five, if he got two years. He's twenty three now. Yeah. His birthday's October tenth. So he would be twenty five at the end of his second year at Florida State. Yeah. So, um, yeah. By then, you're getting into Jordan Aikens territory, right? But, uh. Or, or Chris Winky, <laughs> but um, I, I I think that you know maybe this year it'll you know it'll be like yeah that's not going to look the same but um, once that's over once that period's over it'll be you know we're gonna always gonna we're always gonna remember Mackenzie Milton as a UCF night we're not gonna remember him as a Florida State Seminole unless the insane happens and he somehow leads Florida State to a championship uh, even if it's an ACC championship and they beat Clemson. Uh, which would probably. Well, what if he apply, has but... the similar impact that De'Eric King had with Miami this year? If they get him a big, strong year, uh, because I, and I know, I, I know what's well, going to happen. Well, how how would you define that though? Because De'Eric King, as good a year as he had at Miami, they they're not winning the ACC. No, but at least they had a ten win season, which Florida State would take right now. They would take. Oh yeah, take, you know, what I mean? like that would be amazing. Well, well, well like t- like amazing. ten ten wins in a in a Citrus Bowl wouldn't that be something? In a Citrus Bowl berth, I mean, okay, fine. But that, think, yeah. that wouldn't have nearly the long-reaching impact of if they actually made the playoff, which no, I don't think they're a, going to do. But I, th- it, I think it would help Florida State a lot, like kind of build it back to where it's going. He would oh, help sure. them in that regard. Sure, sure. and I'm, uh, sure, I'm sure that would be – and and his legacy at Florida State would then be, be solidified. 
But that wouldn't, I don't think that would affect his legacy at UCF at all, nor should it. I wouldn't think so. I will say this, though. UCF fans better be prepared for this because I've seen some of these comments. I've noticed they get mad on the broadcast when Jalen Robinson is playing and they reference him as the Alabama transfer. And I, and I get that they're upset. Oklahoma. They're good. Is, or Oklahoma. Who's the one that's from Alabama? There? They, oh, it's Robinson. Thank you, Merck. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, they get mad about that that's referenced all the time on the broadcast. I'm wondering how they're going to react when Milton gets all this attention, kind of like De'Ara King has at Miami. And at the beginning, they mentioned that he transferred from Houston. But after that, they kind of stopped mentioning it. So I'll be curious how they react to that from that standpoint. I don't think it's a big deal, but I can see where some do. I'm rooting for the kid. Forget uh, just be, I think that's a great story, isn't it? Like Murph just brought it up. It's a great story if he's successful. I don't want the kid like anybody that's going to root against him. I think it kind of needs to check themselves. Like, I hope he doesn't get sacked. I hope he doesn't oh, absolutely. end up with another injury. Right. Like I kind of like I'm not a Washington fan at all, but I I'm kind of rooting for them because of Alex Smith. I mean, what, I thought that was pretty cool watching him play again. Like, that's pretty remarkable stuff. And I think. I, I think a lot of people will get behind McKenzie, and I think if he does well, I think that's okay. Just because he helps Florida State do well doesn't hurt UCF. It's well, not going to affect them at all. I, I think you, there's room for plenty. As George O'Leary once said, uh, there's okay if you want to be a Seminole Knight, which I don't know why he said that, but it was funny how he sounded, said it. Well, I, I think I think you can – it's totally okay to compartmentalize the two. It's totally okay to be a McKenzie Milton fan and – and you know, be indifferent to Florida State or less. You know, right. if, you know, and that's that's totally fine. I mean, that like that's that's my perspective on it. Like, I, I don't really care what Florida State does, but I want Mackenzie Milton to do well and fulfill his opportunities and and get his shot at what he wants a shot at. So, um, and, and I would imagine most UCF fans want to do it. But you're right. Anybody who thinks that you know, like, oh, because he's not because he's not at UCF anymore, he's persona non grata. Go, give me a break. Go, go find another team to root for. You know, get get out of here. You have no idea yeah. what. He, if that's the case, and you threw out everything that he did for, literally, almost gave his limb for this school. Right. Yeah. You have right. no earthly idea what you're talking about. Go be a fan of somebody else. Yeah, I agree. And that's it was his decision, and I think it's 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 the right decision because it was his decision. And I hope it works out. I'm looking forward to seeing it. And I think a lot of UCF fans will watch it. And I think they will root for him. Uh, and look, here's the fun part, guys. If it doesn't go well, we can just blame Mike Norvell and rip him like we used to in the <laughs> old days. It's great. It's Mike Norvell in close games. Murphy. Yeah, exactly. Remember Murphy? Mike Norvell in close games. <laughs> Can't wait for Mike Norvell to be up by 17 in a big game and then go away from using his best player in repeated repeated games. Yeah, and th- yeah, and then he puts and then he puts the other quarterback in. We're like, what yeah. is he doing? Yes, that's exactly what's going to happen. He's going to put Jordan Travis in, and we're going to be like, what the hell, yeah. man? Why are you taking up seventeen Milton? midway yep. through the third, and he pulls Mackenzie Milton for Jordan Travis? There you go <laughs> against Clemson, like in yeah. Clemson. Exactly. So you know, we'll see what happens. It'll be awesome. It'll be exciting. It'll be unique uh, story and. Uh, Murph, I hope you get the dibs there. You got to go to Tallahassee. You, I, I, I have faith in you. You can, you can get the scoop. <laughs> I, I, I just want to be. I just want to see it. I don't really care if I'm part of it in any way. I just want to see it. Everyone yeah. wants. Everyone should want to well, see his, it. Well, his first shot, if he gets the starting job, his first shot's going to be against Notre Dame on Labor Day weekend. So, wouldn't that be something? So, all right. 
Uh, take a break. We get back, talk, talk some hoops. Uh, no men's basketball games this past week, but there was a big women's game against the Tulane Green Wave the other night at home. And uh, Coach Abe and her defense taking care of business on the home floor. We'll break that down a little bit. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We're back. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And of course, Black and Gold Banneret.com, where we are getting ready to switch the gears over to uh, basketball full time. So, men's basketball, real quick. No games this week. Uh, they're at one and one. Uh, they do play Saturday at Florida State at the uh, Donald L. Tucker Center. Uh, 9 p.m. tip. 9 p.m. tip for that game. Jeez, Louise. Um, I'll tell you. I'll tell you who scheduled that really screwed up. That screwed up my schedule a lot. <laughs> I, I think I've been on this podcast that I wanted to go to that game, but I did not want to go to that game and then drive. No, you don't want to drive back to Orlando in the dead of night. Four is it four? I thought it was like five from Tallahassee, right? No, no, no. Four. It's four. Yeah. It's four. It's four. Right. If you push it, you can get there. Four. Uh. And then uh, three days later, the home uh, the home conference opener against Cincinnati. That uh, game is scheduled for 4 p.m. They moved it up because the bowl game is later that night, of course, uh, against BYU at Addition Financial Arena. ESPN Plus. Uh, Cincinnati game is uh, on ESPN Plus. The Florida State game is on ACC Network. So we'll at least be able to see that on our, on our expanded cable packages. But... Uh, uh, Coach uh, Dawkins uh, spoke to the media today, Eric, uh, and we have a little uh, scoopage you were telling me. Yeah, I mean, a couple things. He talked about this matchup with Florida State, and he said uh, that this is not going to be a one-off, that they're working on the two teams playing next year in Sunrise, which is where originally they were supposed to play this year, the Orange Bowl Classic. Uh, and then after that, you, Florida State would come to UCF to play UCF in a couple of years. So this could turn potentially could turn into a three game series out of it, which I think would be awesome. Um, and pretty creative if you could pull it off to have a home and home and then a kind of a neutral court game down in South Florida. I, I think that would be cre- a creative, a credit to Leonard Hamilton and Johnny Dawkins for pulling it off. And it's a broken record, but Johnny knows how to make deals happen when it comes to scheduling. It's phenomenal. There has never been a UCF basketball coach that could pull off the scheduling that he does. It's remarkable to get three games out of this potentially when it looked like originally it was just going to be a one-off. I think that's exciting. I, I think, And he wants to play Florida teams. He mentioned that as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for it. The more Florida teams play, the better. <laughs> yeah. Florida State, Florida, Miami. Get Florida Gulf Coast in here too. I mean, why not? Get, let's get Dunk City up in here. Well, we'll see about all that. Let's just focus on Florida State. But now – uh, what's going to be a challenge this week? Uh, no, no, still no Perry, no Darius Perry. Uh, no, fact, no point, Dawkins. no point guards to speak of, really. Yeah, and, and you know, he pretty much said, "We'll tell you, we'll tell you when we when we think he'll play." <laughs> Basically, stop asking. That, that's a little, that's a little scary <laughs> to me. I'm not going to lie. Which, that's which, as a, a writer and a, and a question asker, asker myself, I say, uh, "No, I'm going to ask you next week." <laughs> uh, all right. As long, see, I'll ask that question. I hope he's not. I hope he doesn't get mad at me. As long as, as you don't I, ask him. As long as you don't ask him in the midnight post game on Saturday. That that would. Be oh crazy. man. Yeah. I, I mean, look. I mean, I, that is just that makes no sense. But it but that's no the sense, that's the big way. story right now with this team, right? I mean, this you're, they're going through this this tough. Yeah. These next three games are brutal. It, at Florida State, home Cincinnati, home Houston, right? 
and yeah. you don't have a point guard right now. You no, got a, you got some guys trying to play point guard, but you don't have. Well, you're you're, you're down playing, Tony you're, Johnson and you're down Darius Perry. And you're playing the wrong team this week. Florida State. Leonard Hamilton has done it again. This is, in my opinion, is the best team in the ACC. They have size. They have length. They have depth. Yeah, you're just trolling teams. Duke. <laughs> Something like that. They should be better than Duke. They were better than Duke last year, but they have depth and they can play defense. Um, and they've got a star player in Scotty Barnes, who's going to be a lottery pick, and many believe is the best guy that Leonard's had there, uh, which is saying something. He's had Jonathan Isaac, among others. So, honestly, guys, I, I, with everything going, I think UCF has to play almost a close to a perfect game to pull an upset here. Because you mentioned it, Jeff, without a point guard against that Florida State defense, that's going to be a challenge. Yeah. Um, and not to mention they've had some time off, and we'll see how they kind of figure things out. I mean, we we asked I asked Coach Dawkins about the layoff because the Houston game got scrapped that they were supposed to play this week. Is that a positive? You know, maybe get more practice. And he pretty much said, "Look, we're, we've done practicing. We got to get games in so we can figure out who we are. That's how you find out about your team is by getting reps and games and chemistry. And they don't have that right now. They only have a couple games. In comparison, Florida State is playing their third game in a week. Mm-hmm. So." They're kind of in a, in a disadvantage against a super talented team. I can, by the way, I know who to blame now, Murph. I, I digged in this one for you because I felt bad uh, that you're not able to go. And blame the ACC football because apparently the reason why this game is at 9 o'clock tip is they want to get their postgame show for the ACC uh, football championship game. And the ACC football championship game is at 4 so you're going to have post-game oh. coverage on the ACC network up really? until the 9 o'clock. Yeah, I'm not making this up. I'm Come not being on. I agree with you. I, I'm just telling you the facts. I'm sorry. Because uh, I was curious myself when when I found out it was a 9. Like, why are you doing a 9 o'clock tip? And I looked, and and that's what it is. They're doing an ACC football coverage of the, champ, of the ACC championship game on ACC network. It's called the huddle or something like that. And they're going to be on for like an hour plus, and it's going to be abs- – and then, then that's when the basketball game will be on. Mm. All sorry. right. Well. It's awful. I hate it. I really, really wanted to go to this game. Yeah, UCF might lose by 20 or more. I mean, you've but... got a super talented kid. I mean, the Scotty Barnes kid might – I think is the best player that UCF has seen since Zion in that Duke game. That's how good this kid is. And and then really MJ Walker is their leader. Yep. This team this team is this team is I mean I think like Aaron like you said people forget how good this team was last year. They were so good and and, and people forgot because they didn't get to play obviously right. they didn't play the conference tournament or the or the March Madness. But they were they were they were gangbusters in the ACC. This is a really really great team. Also one of the nation's leaders in offensive rebounding. And boy, there's a team that struggles to rebound the ball right now. It's UCF. Um, that's going to be yeah. a problem. Problem. Uh, the point guard plays me a problem. This is probably not going to be a great game, but look, <laughs> stranger things have happened. Maybe, maybe and, they sleep long. I mean, you never know. You never know. Um, what, big deal. What, what, what we don't know is we, we've seen so little of this team because they haven't Correct. played since the Michigan game 10 days ago that that we really, we, you know, much like Dawkins said, we don't know what this team is right now. We, we really don't. So, uh, yeah, this game might, be, might not be pretty, but you'll take something away from it. You'll learn some things They'll about be guys better in this off. game. They're gonna they're gonna be better off playing this game down the road. Uh, yeah, it just because, it, because, it, it just it just yeah, and then it's just awful that they are going to be without a point guard 
for this entire treacherous stretch of Florida State, Cincinnati, Houston, they will not have – I almost guarantee they will not have Perry for, for any of those games. So, yeah, it's just brutal. That's the bummer thing. That's the thing that you wish you were at full strength to see where you're at and things like that. And that's not an excuse. That's reality. Um that's, that's the tough part. And as if that's not enough, three days later they got Cincinnati, who, by the way, is 2-3 and three on the season right now uh, with losses to Xavier, Tennessee, and then they just lost tonight. This, we're recording this Wednesday, December 16th. Just lost tonight to USF at home. And uh, uh, and again, it was nationally televised on ESPN2. Cincinnati's gonna, going to Athens, Georgia to play the Bulldogs uh, on Saturday as well. That game's at 8 p.m. on SEC Network if you want to check what them out. What are these out. late tips, man? Well eight, eight, well, 8 o'clock is fine. 8 o'clock is fine. I mean, 9 is like... afternoon basketball. And that's before... Uh, well, we got the, well, you know, those conference championships, Eric. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, remember, that's going to be across from, from the uh, American Athletic Conference Championship. Uh, and then uh, at three, and then three days later. So both these teams are going to be on, you know, three days after playing tough opponents uh, on the road, um, and we'll see how. Challenge. They, yeah, it's, it's going to be a challenge for both squads. But Cincinnati does look vulnerable. I think the loss to USF proved that. Although I think that USF is also much better than usually what they. Do. Well, here, here's my thoughts on the league. Uh, I think outside of a healthy Houston team and then SMU, I think it's a crapshoot after that. I think Houston and SMU are the two best teams. And after that, I don't think there's a big difference between number three and number ten. I know people like Memphis, but I don't. I think I don't think Memphis is like this clear cut ahead of everybody else. Mm. To your point, well, they, they were in it. Well, they just finished up a, a game where they right. uh, they yeah. really had, were in a dogfight with Tulane right. for much of the night. So, yeah. Yep. So I, I think that's how the league looks to me early on. Obviously, injuries and teams improving can change some of that, but I, I think it's going to be super competitive uh, in the league. And you know, Cincinnati's always a dogfight. Uh, it's it's going to be defense, probably low-scoring game. And remember, uh, Murph won't be there. And the last time Murph wasn't at a UCF-Cincinnati game, it went triple overtime. So. <laughs> yeah, to bring that one up. That. Yeah. It, it, it went triple overtime. I was at a family reunion at a, at a Korean restaurant in Newport Ritchie, and they were about to close, and I forced them to stay open so I could watch the end of the game. And then I wrote a recap of that game in the parking lot of a Chili's. That now that's pull, if you ask me. That's what I'm saying. But uh, so that's the situation right now for UCF men's basketball. Again, uh, the Florida State game, 9 p.m. Saturday, December 19th on ACC Burf, Network. What should we, Burf, what kind of caffeine should we drink to watch the game? Oh, you guys are nuts, be... man. <laughs> I... <laughs> it's just annoying. We're so annoyed, Jeffrey. Nine o'clock. Look, there are people inside the program that are annoyed too. Like, I'll be watching. Like- I, yeah, but I'm watching that game in bed now. Granted, I, I, you know, I don't blame those guys for being annoyed one bit. What? <laughs> you don't, you don't want to get on the post game Zoom? I, I might I might get on the post game Zoom live from my bed. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. With but... your with your stocking cap and PJs. Yes, uh, with. <laughs> <laughs> With Stefan Urkerchev and I in my cap, before so we saying, settle in so, for a long winter's so day. Say, so you're saying if UCF pulls the upset on FSU, no midnight shift post game show? No. No, we're not doing. Uh, we're not doing a morning <laughs> shift show. In that case. Wait, wait. You're telling me that if UCF, wait, wait, wait. You're telling me that if UCF basketball beats a t- beats a top fifteen team on the road, 
we're not doing well, maybe not you and me, Jeffrey, but like you know me and Aaron. Oh, oh, listen, you guys want you guys want to do it? Heck Go yeah. right ahead. I'm not hey, gonna. I'm not, not gonna. The first, front not the here, first but. time me and Murph have done uh, have done content at past midnight. Heck, we interviewed Ben Lively after midnight. Yeah. Right. Write it in pencil, guys. Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy, night shift. Uh, after the UCF result, basketball result game, pending. Uh, only if they win. Only if result they win. Pending. I'm sorry. Follow our Only Twitter feed, UCF underscore yeah. banner, for all the information <laughs> pertaining to that. Uh, and then the Cincinnati game, December 22nd, Tuesday, 4 p.m. That's on ESPN+. And I think Austin and MOD will be on the call for that one too, right? If it's at home. Should be. I don't know. We'll figure it out from there. <laughs> uh, anyway. Fantastic monologue there. Yeah, that was yeah, that was good. I was looking for a little bit of help. Thanks for the assist on that one, boys. Uh, now let's talk about. I'm still trying to figure out who's calling the game for ACC Network. I think is it going to be Dan Bonner from his living room like he did the other night? I mean, we're, yeah, that's the bigger question. I you know. no, it's not. No, the uh, on the women's side for UCF. Um, what a game the other night! It was their conference opener against Tulane uh, in a in a game. And by the way, we talked about this earlier, Eric. Right. Tulane looks and feels like they're going to compete in the American this year. I think they have a very good team. But UCF got the win 66-62 in a very tight affair. Uh, Tulane was up six after one. UCF fought back in the second to make it tight. Those middle, those middle two quarters uh, looked like UCF was doing what they needed to do. They actually outscored Tulane by 11 points in the, sec- in the second and third quarters combined. Um but it was the defense, again, that just uh, won the day for UCF. They uh, held Tulane to 40% from the field. UCF themselves shot 41%, but it was a little bit higher until the fourth quarter itself when Tulane kind of made a little bit of a run to get into it. And both of these teams, I think, were shooting around 38% up until UCF kind of made that last little spurt, and then and then Tulane kind of made it close. But uh, leading scores, four nights in double figures, Masani Kaba... I thought played a really outstanding game uh, offensively um, in terms of just being steady and getting the buckets when they when UCF needed it. Uh, she was six of eight in 27 minutes with 15 points, uh, only one rebound though. Uh, 11 points each for Diamond Battles and uh, Tay Sanders, although they did not shoot well uh, combined. Uh, they combined for only eight of 27 from the field uh and uh diamond had six turnovers in the game that was a credit to um i thought i thought the defensive pressure that tulane was putting on they were great and they also pushed the floor on ucf quite a bit in that game uh 10 points for uh alicia lewis who um along with uh three rebounds and three assists who had some uh good uh, who who looked i i thought she was she was kind of a steadying force off the bench in that game um but uh I got to give Tulane a lot of credit. They uh, really put the pressure on UCF and kind of gave them a dose of their own medicine on the defensive end. Uh, 12 points for Ja'Kayla Jordan, um, although she got into foul trouble in the game, which prevented her from um, from being that out was, there. That, from, was, that was the big one. Cause... Yeah, because she was, she, was, she was hitting shots early. I think she hit those two threes, remember? Oh, no, it was Cheatham who hit them early in the game. But Jordan in the fourth started hitting threes, and that was really a problem. 11 points and 9 boards for Crystal Freeman, who I think is going to be an outstanding player in this conference. Um, this, was, this was a real gut-check game for UCF, Eric. And I think that, I think they passed, um, I don't want to say with flying colors, because there were some struggles, especially offensively. But they figured it out, didn't they? 
Yeah, I mean, especially after bouncing back after the Florida Gulf Coast loss where Florida Gulf Coast just bombarded them with three-pointers. Yeah. They adjusted to that. Uh, Coach Abe said afterwards in talking to her that they pressed more, which took Tulane's perimeter offense away. Tulane hit three of four from the three-point line in the first quarter. They went three for 16 the rest of the way. So that was a factor. You mentioned Jordan foul trouble. That's big because I think she's the best freshman in the conference. I think she's dynamic, and that's why Tulane's going to be heard from. It was a quality game. And, and Abe even said they're still learning about each other again, you know, what this team could do and can't do. Kaba on her birthday had a big game inside because Tulane was covering him with guards. Mm-hmm. This was a rare time where the bigs weren't being double teamed right away. Right. So Kaba took advantage of that. And I thought Asia Todd with the three-point shooting off the bench was a big factor. And, and again, I, keep, I, just, she's, I mean, she's so silky smooth. Alicia Lewis, such a smooth point guard. Smooth, smooth, smooth. Hitting calm with free throws. Knows how to make the right plays. Her and Diamond, I mean, she lets Diamond play off the ball. I think they're really good. That was a big win. You you know, the Florida Gulf Coast was a tough loss, but that's a bad matchup. And Florida Gulf Coast is going to be a tournament team because they're going to dominate the A-Sun. They're really good. But that's a good win against Tulane. Now you go on the road for two games at Tulsa and then at Georgia Tech in a quick turnaround. So, And I believe that Georgia Tech game, by the way, is going to be an ACC network. An afternoon tip, Murph. No way. Afternoon. Can you believe it? I, I would. I swear. I, if only there'd be other sports that could be so have so much foresight into scheduling insane hours <laughs> of the day. As we complain about the American, you can make schedule. the drive to that one, Murph. Back and forth if you want. I could. This is true. <laughs> I, I the. I thought that that was a real gut check game. It was a classic, like conference game. It really felt like a February conference game, didn't it? And the um, league is better. Yeah, the league. You don't you feel? I mean, didn't, I mean, you're right. That even that that was a high level quality. It was game. a super competitive game. Super yeah. competitive game, which you don't often see at this point in the season. Of course, you don't usually see conference games in December, but um, but it, it was. Uh, I, I but it, it previewed quite a bit of that uh, of what we should see later on um, in the season. And uh, I and the thing that I was just really impressed with the whole time was. Um, how good the uh, uh, what do you call it? how really how good the um, defense was for UCF? I, I, it, when they needed it to be, when they needed a run, it was their defense that ignited um, those little mini runs that they had to get back into it, especially in the second quarter. I thought and scoring defense, UCF number one in the American, fifty three and a half points a game, and uh, it, it, that. That was really good. And another thing I think that was really clutched down the stretch too, free throw shooting. UCF was, uh, it, I think there were four key free throws down the stretch. I think Lewis hit a couple of them at least um, that sealed it up. What a difference maker she is. Oh, yeah. She? Yeah, wow. she's really been, even though she, did, even though she didn't score a lot, right? No, uh, but she, the box score doesn't tell the story. Right. Her. She was, and that's, you know, it, that's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. How about Kiara Brown too, by the way? Who had a torn ACL? Now you talk about it, we've had some had some horrific injuries. Mm-hmm. Has been a huge X factor, as Coach Abe talks about. There's some great stories within this team individually. It's yeah. pretty remarkable. And the one that I like too is the fact that um, you know even though a, a, there was a shakeup in the starting lineup, especially in the backcourt, because Anna Bernie got the start along yep. with Kiara Brown, and yep. there were some rumors about that before the game that Coach Abe wasn't happy about some of the things that went on. Um, in the Florida Gulf Coast game, 
Oh, I know and she, she was. Sa- and she was, <laughs> yeah, and she sent, and she sent a message. Uh, yep. And uh, the message, I think, got through loud and clear because uh, Kiara Brown, I think you were right. She was really key, I thought, especially on defense. And, and she, and she yes. even though she didn't score a whole lot during the game, um, she did get the pressure on uh, with the fact that she was, she was actually not afraid to take that short mid-range jumper. And I think that helped to extend Tulane's defense a little bit, uh, which benefited the uh, the bigs at, at certain points. Uh, what did Kiara finish? She was four of eight, uh, eight rebounds or, or eight points, five rebounds, three assists. So not you know not bad in twenty four minutes work. Incredible with and and again for people that don't know, she had like she has a brace on her leg. She had a horrific injury. Yeah. Um, if you guys get a chance, I don't think I don't know if UCF's put it up on social media, but it's on the archives of the Tulane broadcast at halftime. Sammy Kincaid did a feature on her and the injuries she's overcome just to even play basketball. It's very, like, it, the, the, many thought her basketball career was over. Not only is she it's not over, she's playing at a high level with intensity and I talked to her after the game and that's one of the things, she's going to bring energy, passion, intensity, can play, has skills, and I think that feeds off on that team and Abus called her the X Factor and I think that's why you saw her in the starting lineup uh, on there. So, I think you're going to see more of her as she gets used to being on the court. And, and you know, I think she's, you know, Abe has even said she's kind of learning this team on the fly mm-hmm. because, remember, they lost a lot of time with everything that's going on. So she's trying to figure some things out. Like, hey, maybe this team is more suited to press more or this or that. So they're still learning about each other. And, and but they're getting the differences. Unlike the men, they're actually, you know, knock on wood, they're getting games in right now. So, yeah. They're able to learn this, and we'll see if they're able to do that at Tulsa Saturday. 2 o'clock, Murph, 2 o'clock. And then Georgia Tech, 2 o'clock on ACC Network. It's unbelievable. Day basketball. Imagine yeah. that. Hey, and uh, one other thing, uh, too, that I wanted to uh, point out as well. Um, the fact that the big that they didn't play with a lot of the bigs out there, I think was a and, – and we're still able to pull this game off was really key because – um, you know, we only Brittany Smith only played ten minutes, and she had she had right. a little bit of foul trouble in that game too. And uh, Destiny Thomas really stepped it up, I think too. Even though she only attempted one shot, uh, eight rebounds, uh, and and was I think really really key um, defensively too. So hey, look, the zone worked. People make fun of that trash oh, zone, right? Well, right. guess what? It worked. That versatility, which you mentioned. Yes, they have a lot of size. They can go big. But you can go small if you have to. And I think she did some of that to match because Tulane went small. That was Tulane's strategy mm-hmm. was kind of what Florida Gulf Coast did, which is spread them out, go small, and try to get quality shots and beat them in the perimeter. And UCF kind of adjusted some things on that. So, yeah. Last word, by the way, shout out to the UCF football team because they showed up at halftime. I saw about 50 guys come in to the, uh, uh, to, to the nightmare section. And they legit had an impact on the game. They were loud. They were uh, they were positive the whole time. They, that that was as good a showing by a crowd, especially of students that I've ever seen for a UCF women's basketball game. They helped flip the game. I'm absolutely convinced of it because the arena was a little. It was quiet. It was a little dead in there. And when those guys showed up, like the level of play, I think rose up for the women's team and I'm declaring it now UCF football you guys need to show up to all these games now because you have a very real effect on the game and we need teams to win so I'm up so I'm all for UCF football 
showing up to UCF women's basketball as often as possible, preferably to all the games, right? Wow, that is wow. Calling them out. Again, I, it, no, this isn't a call out. This is like, hey guys, like look at the job you no, did. You, it's but then you did, but you did though. But you did though. Guys, you need to show up. What? No, can't they go home for Christmas? <laughs> all right, no, fine. Gonna... Go home. Yeah, fine. Go home for Christmas. It's it's totally all right. But you know something? When you get back, come to more of the games because look what happened. You showed up. Wow. It was real, man. We won. We won in part because of the atmosphere in that game. You know, you, 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 you mentioned that, but we've seen this before. This is nothing new from the UCF teams. And I do wonder, as we move forward, uh, could you see more of this? Because we've seen this in normal times. Remember, we were at the volleyball championship last mm-hmm. year where women's basketball showed up. Uh, Greg Lovelady showed up. A bunch of athletes showed up to support them to win the volleyball. So we've seen this in other sports and in fairness to the football guys, they have. I've seen them at other sporting events, so it's not like they haven't done this before. I let's make not make it sound like this was a once in a lifetime opportunity. It just kind of worked out, and you know they have this thing called practice and stuff they got to do. But it was cool. It was fun. I mean, yeah. Jeff, if Jeff, I think the next UCF home game, next UCF women's basketball home game that takes place, you know, during a semester in which the kids, you know, the football players could feasibly be on campus, is January seventeenth. And wow. they don't, they don't they, if they don't show up for that game, then you can yell at them and say, "Where were you?" I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you. Look what happened, guys. Anyway, um, no, I, but usually, well, usually we see this. This is the thing: when athletes from other teams show up to other athletes' games, they're usually they usually try to be, I think, inconspicuous, right? And I mean. I mean None of that from the UCF football team. They were like, we're here. All right. Obviously, I I think the basketball team certainly support support each other at full throat uh, whenever the other team is playing. Like, a lot of the men's team will go watch the women's game and vice versa and And do so very And you might see more of that because there's a lot of double headers this year scheduled. Either at home and on the road. So you might see some of that. Yeah. Yeah. But, and yeah, but no, to your point, Jeffrey, like certainly, I, I mean, there's always a game or two that like a third or more of the team of the football team like shows up. Um, and, and so that was nice that they showed up uh, there for a women's game. And I'm sure they'll do it for, for men's as well at some point. Um, but yeah, like, why not? Like it's part of the college experience. You know, I mean, wear your mask you know, try to separate, even though they, they couldn't really, I guess. And, and uh have fun. Yeah, that's the thing. Have some fun. So it's good to see that. So big thanks to UCF football. Be careful, Murph. We could be next on the target right there, man. We could be next. Well, in that case, you better get out of this podcast while we can. Um, (laughs) So uh, as we wrap things up here, remember, we got another busy weekend. We got the basketball games coming up. We're going to be preparing for the bowl game, which will be Tuesday. Obviously, the basketball game before the bowl game on Tuesday as well. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, we're (laughs) eyeball deep in December and Hopefully we'll get some of our spring sports schedules coming out too because we've got a lot of sports we're going to be covering in the spring. You would you would hope and it's you hope. it's going to be a wild spring, man. I was talking with some of the folks at UCF the other day after the women's game. I was like, man, it's going to be it's going to be a wild spring. <laughs> it's going to be wow. So, but we'll be here to cover for you here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Facebook.com slash UCF Banneret. And of course, uh, at blackandgoldbanneret.com, we are the home of the UCF Knights on the SB Nation 
Network. So make sure you follow Eric Lopez Elo and Spokes underscore Murphy, as well as my, yours truly at Jeff underscore Sharon. And that will do it for us for this evening. For Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff saying thanks for listening. This has been the Black Hole Banneret Podcast. We will catch you next week. <laughs>